This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. We were broadcasting live from the Rixos Premium Sadia Island and probably one of the most beautiful studios I've ever broadcast from. We were learning more about this beautiful part of the world and in conversation with Dr. Katrin Yarn. She is a vet with a really, really impressive resume when it comes to all things behaviour. So something a bit special in that area with cats, dogs and more as we talked barking, chewing, toileting and everything coming in on the text line. Plus it was Moorfields Eye Hospital, Dr Salma who was on hand to talk about what we should know when it comes to our children and their eyes. Joining us now from the property is Pradeep Beljuan. He is the front office director. He's worked everywhere from the Bahamas to the British Virgin Islands and has been, well, the longest standing member of staff here at the property. How are you, Pradeep? I am doing very well. And first of all, welcome to our beautiful property. Well, I have to say it has been the warmest welcome from arriving and having your lovely team member, Paul, saying... Um, you need to come. You need to come back to the lobby for the Christmas tree lighting. And he was very insistent. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come. <laughs> Only to be greeted by dry ice oh, in, in the water fountain. <laughs> the most incredible array of drinks and festive snacks, singing, and then the lights going on. You guys clearly work incredibly hard to make people feel incredibly welcome. So I just want to say a personal yeah. thank you. Your team is fantastic. I am so happy to hear that. And you know why our team is so asking the guests to come because they don't want them to miss any moment. And as you must have seen yesterday, it must be nice. There's a lot happening here. Now, you've got a policy where it's a two-night minimum stay, and we have been giving away the opportunity mm-hmm. to stay here for two nights. I am a, I'm in favour of this because I feel like when you are very busy, and a lot of people listening today are leading very frantic lives, it can take you a little while to unwind, mm-hmm. but also you've got so much going on here that you don't presumably get the yeah. full experience in just 24 hours. I- I think you know this we have learned I think I have been working here from 2018 since the opening time and we noticed that when the guest is coming for one night they cannot fully explore and they cannot enjoy each and everything. I don't want to leave. <laughs> so I fully sympathize with those people. Now, as I said, we're giving away brunch for two here at the Rixos Premium Study Island and many people getting our hopefully quite easy question correct today. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the brunch? Okay. The food here I think all-inclusive, but this is next level. Tell us about the brunch. I think the most important thing is of the all-inclusive is not just like a full board in other places. Mm -hmm. It's more about the journey. So like when you come to the brunch, it's not only about the food or the beverage. It's more about the environment. We have a beautiful garden to sit outside and we have the children playing around. They are doing different activities. So it's the family can really enjoy the whole day. It's not just eating, eating and just packing your bags and going away. Well, I've spent the last not even 24 hours kind of oscillating between this is so relaxing without my children then going, I should have brought my kids. This is amazing because <laughs> the kids club here yeah, is gorgeous as well. It is a really unique offering, I think, in terms yeah. of the region. And I really do mean that because I've, I've been to all-inclusive properties before. But I've always felt like the food, great, you know, it ticks the box. Mm-hmm. We'll, you know, we'll go and have mm-hmm. lunch. But it's always felt a little bit kind of lacklustre. But I feel like quality-wise, you guys are absolutely nailing it. Yeah, I think that's why we are saying it's all-inclusive, all-exclusive. Because it's not only about one part, it's about the whole journey for the guests mm-hmm. so that they can really enjoy this beautiful Sadiat beach while having vacation with us. And it's also not just about the food. You know, we think about 
your sports activities as well mm-hmm. you've got a great gym access to the spa to go yeah. and enjoy that and the kids club as well um it sounds like you've got things happening literally from morning until night is that right I, yeah i agree with you you know i when i came here during the construction time we have a lot of guests from other staying properties they used to come and see what's going on here and it was people were really waiting for something like this to open mm-hmm. and since we open it's always you know we are hearing people they are coming again and again like i will be spending my fifth new year here and i know a lot of guests who are coming back again really? since 2018 they are coming back every year so what have you got planned for festive period for new years i know a lot of it will be in the works for a long time uh, uh, you know the thing is that i'm very lucky my family is here staying here in abu dhabi with me and Amazing. i have two girls they are going to school here so they are teenagers so it's something very nice to be in family to spend you know in abu dhabi Well, I promise next time if my kids are listening, <laughs> girls, I will bring you. You will be spending a lot of time in the kids club just to let you know. But pretty I just want to say a massive massive thank you for you and the team. We have absolutely loved spending the show here. I think it's going to be hard to beat from hammocks to private pools to the great food. It's going to be hard to go back to the uh, studio tomorrow. Uh, look for looking forward to visit for you to visit next thank time with us. Thank you so thank so you. much. Pretty is yeah. the director of the oh. front of house there and We are talking travel this afternoon and joining us live on the line is Matt Vlemix, the Dinata Travel Leisure Manager. We're talking a little bit about what Sadia Island has to offer today and later on going to be sharing some of the great deals and hotels that are available on the island as well. Matt, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. I think we're seeing a real appetite for staycations right now and I don't know if that's just something that I'm seeing amongst my friends and Instagram of course but I wondered if you're seeing a reflection in that in terms of bookings with Donata Travel what's the scoop Hi Helen thanks for having me on um yeah we're definitely seeing that at the moment I think um the weather's so amazing the the attractions are so amazing I guess you're sampling some of those uh, yourself over there now so um we're seeing staycations in <laughs> across the emirates um abu dhabi in particular is is very popular again at the moment over the last few months um and that combination of all the events that have been going on all all the great sporting possibilities the entertainments uh you know the outdoor cultural sort of centers that you have there in sadia and and in the city itself uh the louvre the great resorts um i think there's a real sense you know especially with this quite big event going on just uh, in the region as well um and people really getting mm. engaged with that um and i think there's this real sense at the moment that a lot of people are are staying here rather than traveling internationally which for us is great because wow. we can send you abroad but we also like uh, sending people to to stay in in the uae as well It's interesting. I I when I first speak to people about their upcoming Christmas holidays like we're going to stay here. The weather's amazing. Um the alternative of going to perhaps home countries is not so appealing right now for for many people and for many reasons. So I completely understand and what I thought was interesting about here at the Rixos Premium is it's a minimum two night stay um which I think is fantastic to be honest because I think for a lot of us who are really really busy in fact everybody listening It does take a little time to unwind and I wonder if you're seeing any patterns in terms of length of stay because is that you know is that something that we think is perhaps a bit of a a post pandemic um kind of lingering habit of like Do you know what I'm going to use this holiday I'm going to spend an hour in the car rather than 7 hours on a plane and I'm going to use that time to have a 3 night or 4 night or even a 5 night stay here in the UAE Yeah I think so I think previously it was always a night or two for for a lot of staycations um and people would would finish work in in the emirate that they live in jump in the car you know get there in the evening and really not be able to make make the most of their their stay at the hotel um whereas now a lot of people seem to be staying two nights three nights 
even more than that really um you know take time to uh, as somebody said previously drop the, the kids at the kids club uh, have some relaxation you know most of the hotels in in the emirates uh, have five or six great dining options so you don't want to just try one of them um you want to really sort of experience the hotel um and get out and about as well so um i think a, a few things as well you know with with school holidays being a little bit earlier um uh, for a lot of school this year early. as well <laughs> very yes early. exactly that i'm like could exactly you just that. keep them for another week the night <laughs> seems almost criminal <laughs> i'm sure teachers yeah, would disagree We are broadcasting live from the Rixos Premium Sadiat Island. Absolutely beautiful spot, I can safely say. Probably the most uh, gorgeous studio I've ever had the pleasure of broadcasting from. Um, and we want you to come here. I'll tell you how you can be winning that after half past. All right now, we're taking a little trip to Sadiat through all sorts of different attractions and different properties with Matt Flemix. He is the Donata Travel Leisure Manager. And we've just been saying, Matt, about how popular UA staycations are right now. And we've had the Dubai Eye team staying at various hotels and broadcasting for some gorgeous spots over the island all day and all through, t- through tonight. Um, and I wondered if there are any deals to be had. Um, our neighbours are actually um, just next door. We've got Jumeirah at Sadia Island Resort. Poonam stayed there last night and thought it was fantastic. Um, what do we know about there, whether it is food, uh, location, and yes, some good prices, please, sir. Well, lucky you guys for staying at these hotels. I, I think know. one of the really notable things as well um, about about Abu Dhabi and Sadia in particular is you've got these amazing sort of powerhouse luxury brands as well. Some of the best best hotels in the world have sort of made their bases on Sadia as well, and, and Jumeirah is obviously one of those. Um, it's it's a really sort of modern, sleek property, um, which I'm sure you've, you've you've heard as well from colleagues, and um, on a more one of the more remote stretches of the beach there as well. Um, it's very sort of eco-conscious as well. Um, you've mentioned the wildlife that's on and around Sadiat and, and Jumeirah are very heavily involved in that. Um, with some... to, you know, I got a message saying, make sure you get up early so you can see the dolphins. And I was like, I'm sorry, yeah. what? <laughs> are you serious? But as we heard earlier, sea turtles, you know, just absolutely gorgeous spot. So the fact that mm. they are kind of clued into that eco-conscious aspect must be really, really appealing for lots, for lots of guests as well. What about food? Matt, that's, yeah, that's not, I yeah, I've gained about two kilos since I arrived here. <laughs> There's some great options. They've got uh, Mare Mare, which is uh, an Italian uh, restaurant, obviously translated um, in Italian uh, to mean sea. They've got um, the Offside Sports Lounge, which is great for sort of uh, World Cup viewing at the moment as well. And actually, on that theme, their their spa there has um, has a Moroccan hammam um, as a part of a big centerpiece of it. And, and as everybody in in uh, the UAE is sort of adopting Morocco at the moment, then that's um, <laughs> that's obviously a nice a nice little bonus as well um so yeah there's the usual sort of fantastic Jumeirah dining options um great kids and teens club as well um and, and really nice sort of areas where adults can chill out as well so it, it is perfect um and go we do on. have some deals Any there deals? as well yeah go okay golden question what what's uh, what's on offer right now at the Jumeirah at Sadia Island Resort yeah, I mean, tying that in, you just wouldn't expect these sort of prices at a, at a, a hotel of that level of luxury. So you can get one night there at the moment in a, a resort deluxe room, including breakfast um, and your kids staying free. And that's from uh, 695 dirhams uh, per adult, wow. savings of 35%. And yeah, it's, we'd really encourage you to try that from this sort of week when a lot of the schools break up and before that festive week. That's, that's a really good time to get in there and, and get these good deals. Um, Matt, right next door to us is the Park Hyatt Abu Dhabi, which I've stayed in in the past. Um, absolutely gorgeous hotel, pool stunning, again, right on the beach. Um, I have to say, I, I didn't go with my kids, but I understand it's actually got quite a lot going on for children, um, indoor and outdoor. Um, are you able to give us a little kind of 
bit of intel on that. And we know, we know how good Park Hyatt spas are as well. What do we need to know about our neighbours next door? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with Park Hyatt, you always think sort of elegance, don't you, and, and luxury. And they've got beautiful landscape gardens and a huge pool as well. Uh, that's one of the largest in Abu Dhabi. Um, they have Camp Hyatt, which is for the kids. Uh, exclusive for the younger guests lots of fun uh, indoor and outdoor activities i guess you'd want it to be mainly outdoor at this time of year at the moment as well um the spa you've mentioned is is lovely and um there's a great restaurant called mate um which i believe is a sort of argentine uh, version of coffee um and that's um that's an argentine restaurant with a sort of lebanese twist as well um and that's really worth worth trying out over there um, for me and, and, and people like me as well it's right next to the golf course as well so it's perfect for those that uh, that want to play some golf now, for, for anyone who's been entering our Irish Village competition, you've just given a big clue um, as to what the answer might be, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, what about deals there? It's, it's going to be hard to beat what you were just saying about uh, about the Jumeirah property. Are there any um, bargains to be had at the Park Hyatt Abu Dhabi on Sadiat? Yeah, absolutely. Again, a lot, um, a lot sort of less expensive than you might expect from such a great hotel. Um, same sort of time frame. You can get one night um, in a standard room um, from 690 dirhams per adult. Um, it's a little bit extra for for children as well, 250 for the child. Um, but that includes breakfast and and, and the significant savings there. Again, if you get in before those festive dates. Um, I think we've got time for one last property and I'm not going to um, select the Rick Sauce Premium Saturday Island because we are here this afternoon and we're going to be sharing lots of brilliant uh, information but also the chance to stay there for free. Um, so what about the St Regis because this property in terms of architecture and food um, is an absolute winner. I know a lot of people that are just going back time and time again. What are some of the highlights from the St Regis? Yeah, you mentioned the food. So there's there's a great Greek restaurant there, and and it's got it's um, called called Mazi, and it's got the Buddha Bar as well. So um, you know, a, a nice sort of a bit of nightlife there as well for those that want it. Um, I think the spa is lovely as well. And, and one of the things that you get from St. Regis is um, the butler service there for all the rooms and all the suites. Um, all of them have private balconies as well with, with great views of, of, of the ocean and of the surrounding sort of greenery and wildlife and the golf course again as well. So um, there's, that's a really sort of strong all-rounder as well. I need, uh, okay. Is there a deal to be had at St. Regis, Sadia Island? Because I have to say, you've more than delivered with the other properties, Matt. Yeah, we're, we're still in the same sort of ballpark on this one as well. So again, it's um, you can get one night there in a superior room, breakfast included, significant savings on the stay, and that's from 690 per adult as well. Um, it's an extra 400 dirhams per child. Um, but again, for a couple of nights, um, you know, from this weekend, next week, that's um, fantastic bargains to be had. Matt Vlemix, the Donata Travel Leisure Manager. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. Eye care for you and your children. Moorfields, driven by your vision. We're taking your questions, your concerns. It's a live clinic this afternoon with Dr. Salma Yassin, consultant ophthalmologist who specialises in paediatric and neuro-ophthalmology. Dr. Salma, how are you? Great to have you with us today. Hi, thank you for having me today. I've, I keep on, I need to make an appointment at Moorfields. I've got a daughter who keeps complaining about headaches and I'm trying to kind of narrow it down because headaches in kids freak me out big time. And now that she's starting to read more and more, I'm thinking, okay, I need to make an appointment. So I'm going to put it in my diary <laughs> as soon as, as soon as the news is on at half past three. Um, but I'm, I'm curious in terms of what's coming into clinic. What are some of the most common childhood eye conditions, I guess, for, for want of a better word, doctor? Yes, sure. So um, in my PETS clinic, the most common things I see is refractive errors. So nearsightedness, farsightedness, 
or um, anisometropia or astigmatism. So this can be corrected with glasses. A lot of kids need glasses to see better and to focus the light on the, um, the right part of the retina. Uh, other things I see is amblyopia, and that's abnormal um, development of vision in one eye that can have many, many causes. And it depends on the cause to give the right treatment for it. And usually uh, we patch the good eye to force the brain to use the bad eye most of the time. Uh, some other uh, common things I see is strabismus or squint, and that's misalignment of the eyes. Sometimes it can be turned inwards, outwards, and sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. So there is incoordination between both eyes. And this itself can cause amblyopia. And uh, amblyopia can cause permanent vision loss if it's not treated in a promptly manner. These are the most common things I see. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. World leading experts in eye care. Moorfields. Driven by your vision. Joining us live on the line to answer my questions and yours is Dr. Salma Yassin, consultant ophthalmologist who specialises in paediatrics and neuro-ophthalmology at Moorfield Eye Hospital. Dr. Salma, I wanted to ask you about any conditions that might be specific to the region. Is there anything you're seeing coming into clinic in children in particular relating to heat or AC, sand, dust, anything that we need to be aware of as parents? Yes, there are multiple things that I see in clinic now more common than before. The first one, as you said, um, because of the weather, because of pollution, because kids are using tablets a lot as dry eyes. We used to see that more commonly in adults. Now we see the trend in kids just because they're exposed to um, increased screen time. Even schoolwork now requires using the tablets. Um, and the treatment for it is very simple. Just use artificial tears without any preservative. Another thing that I've been seeing more commonly now is uh, myopia or nearsightedness. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays kids, especially with COVID times, they sit at home, they play with their iPad, everything at near. They don't go out as often. Um, and this, all of these are risk factors for developing myopia and for myopia progression. I want to go through the text. We've had a number of messages for you, Dr. Salma. Um, and yes. an interesting one here, um, really asking about when to bring in the experts. Sarah's saying, hi both, our son is eight and his vision has suddenly deteriorated. Um, I noticed he was having difficulty seeing both near and far. Letters look squished together. He said he couldn't follow them. We visited an optician in a glasses store who advised he had a minor prescription of minus 0.75, but she'd like to use drops just to make sure. The prescription's now changed to plus two. Does this sound like correct advice, or should I get a second opinion? So it changed from minus to plus, is that what? Correct, yeah. Okay. Um, so what we usually do here in Morfields, we put drops to dilate the pupil and to relax the muscles inside the eye. This way we can check the correct prescription because kids can use the muscles inside the eye to focus and that can be a little bit tricky. So in order to get the correct prescription, we put some eye drops in, we relax, it's called cyclopentylase, we relax the muscle and we can get the correct prescription. So definitely worth seeking a proper, a proper opinion. And we should yes, just be really clear course. in terms of yeah. going to the experts. Um, exactly. It's always good for the, for the peace of mind. Um, what about anyone who hasn't got any specific concerns about their children's eye health? You know, what, what are the things that we can be doing or changing or trying with our children to 
maintain good eye health or in, indeed even kind of turn back the clock a little bit, what would you recommend to all parents today? So um, the main recommendation is to decrease screen time to one hour a day. So. <laughs> I thought so, an hour a day. When I brought my kids into Moorfields a few years ago, that, that, that was the exact advice. And I, it, was, it was during the pandemic. And I thought, oh, dear, <laughs> an hour a day. <laughs> Can I ask you in terms of screens, though, are some screens better or worse than others if we're looking at phones, tablets, TVs, computers, for example? No, all of them are the same. Okay. All of them are the same. Um, not only it affects the eyes, it can affect also the brain development. That's why I highly recommend that screen time, including all kinds of tablets, to be one hour a day maximum. And um, I strongly, yes. Can I ask about diet as well? You know, that, that old myth about, you know, carrots helping you see, in, see well in the dark. I mean, vitamins are always going to be helpful for all aspects of, of health in children. Is there anything in terms of diet or supplementation that can be particularly beneficial? Um, so carrots have vitamin A, which is important. It's an important vitamin for the eye, but there are a lot of other vitamins that are important, not carrots in particular. It's just a myth. Mm -hmm. If the kid is not a picky eater, eats all kinds of vegetables, meat, then no need for any supplements. But if the kid is really picky, he doesn't like vegetables or like red meat, I personally prefer that the, uh, the parents would start him on multivitamin supplements. Mm -hmm. that would be helpful um, you need a Sam, lot think, of vitamins to have good think, eyes okay all right good to know um a quick question here saying i'd like to know what are the early signs of myopia in kids especially with kids who are still not that vocal or going to school and i think that is quite the the common age of when parents or teachers might identify there might be eyesight problems you know wanting to sit closer to the whiteboard or, or struggling with things in front of them but for the for the early Early signs in younger children, what do you tend to recommend when you're working with pediatrics and, and parents? Yes, some of the early signs is squinting. Some kids tend to squint to see better. It's a mechanism they adapt to see. Um, another thing is getting really close to things, like whenever they want to read something, they grab it really close to their eyes to see. That's another sign for nearsightedness. And sometimes you can't really see anything, and that's why we do the screening, at least before they start mm -hmm. school. At least one, because sometimes it's there and they don't really give any signs. Um, I just wanted to ask lastly about your specialty, neuro-ophthalmology. Yeah. Can you yeah. explain a little bit about some of the um, vision problems that you you can identify and some things that can, as you say, can lead to serious complications if parents aren't tuned in or indeed seeking out um, a specialist such as yourself? Could you be able to give us a quick oversight, so to speak? Sure. Uh, so neuro-ophthalmology is a subspecialty that addresses the relationship between the eye and the brain. So basically the optic nerve acts like a cable that connects what we see to the brain. So any, the, the brain can detect small changes in the eyes when the optic nerve is involved. Um, mm -hmm. So some of the common symptoms I see in clinic is a sudden loss of vision, double vision, headache, um, impaired color vision, and visual field cuts. Symptoms should not be ignored, and they should seek um, advice of a neuro right away. 
Dr. Salman, thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you in, in our, on our office today, but I will definitely be coming to your office next time at Moorfield Eye Hospital. As I said, when the kids are off school, we've got a little bit of time. Um, I'm, I need to get this sorted out with my nearly eight-year-old. So I really do appreciate your insights and your advice this afternoon. Really, really do appreciate it. Dr. Salman Yassin, consultant ophthalmologist, who specialises in paediatrics there at Moorfield Eye Hospital. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. We are having a bit of a behaviour special on the show today with Dr. Katrin Yarn from the German Veterinary Clinic. She has got, well, I don't want to say the best qualifications in the UAE, but certainly the best qualified vet I know when it comes to dealing with those behaviour issues, whether it is chewing, pulling, pooping, uh, barking. We've spoken about on the show today. Dr. Katrin, before I get to the text line... I wanted to ask you about something we touched on in a previous show, and I'm going to be completely honest where this conversation came from. Um, My best friend during lockdown in the UK got a Rhodesian Ridgeback, and she, it's part of a bigger story, um, but she messaged me saying, do you think dogs can be neurodiverse? And I was like, I have absolutely no idea, but logic would suggest that yes, they can. And I'm so glad you're with us today because I was very curious to get your take on this. Neurodiversity in animals, be it ADHD, autism, why, how it presents, what owners need to know. What is your take on this, Dr. Katrin? Oh, what a great question, Helen. And something that, yeah, in the behavior world, in the veterinary behavior world, certainly we've we've been talking about quite a lot um, recently. So what we don't have is we don't yet have an actual diagnosis of Mm -hmm. ADHD, autism, PTSD, all those things um, in pets. But my colleagues and I certainly see it. We and we often hear owners say it you know they'll say things like you know my dog almost behaves like he's on the spectrum or you know he finds certain sensory stimuli really difficult to deal with or you know he's he finds it difficult socially um, to interact socially and there are a lot of parallels that we can draw you know to people especially children Mm -hmm. so even though we don't have those diagnoses those words to make that diagnosis um, I think we definitely see it and I think in the next few years you're going to be hearing a lot more about that and hopefully we'll get to the point where as a profession we can actually um, you know come up with a way of diagnosing this in animals because it's quite difficult to diagnose these these conditions in people so you know we need to kind of be sure that we're that we're doing the right thing but yeah it's such an interesting topic isn't it it really is. And I think it's going to be really interesting, as you say, as more studies come through, data comes through, you can get to a point of diagnosing and then, I'm not saying treating necessarily, but helping pet owners understand their pets a bit more, whether that is just in terms of things to have or not have in the home or a different way of training because of their neuropathways being somewhat different to animals that you would train. It's so, so interesting. So thank you mm-hmm. for that. Um, we will, of course revisit this and I will tell my friend Rachel that yes it is quite possible that Zap is on the spectrum. Um, I want to go to the text line we are talking behavior on the show today um, and I'm curious what's coming into, into the clinic you know when, when pet parents are coming to you what are some of the common issues that you're working with right now doctor? 
Um, so lots of things, really. So in dogs, I'm seeing a lot of generalized anxiety, separation anxiety, um, fears, traumas, that sort of thing. And in cats, we're seeing, um, I see a lot of inter-cat aggression cases. So, you know, cats that live in the same household that don't get on with each other um, or cats that are peeing outside of the litter box. So mm. lots and lots of things. Um, but I'm I'm so busy. I'm busier than I've ever been. And I think, you know, the awareness is definitely rising. Mm. Um, and and unfortunately, we see a lot of pets with behavior problems, but fortunately, we're also really, really well able to treat them. And when you say treatment, I mean, we hear this across people. We hear about all sorts of different diseases and conditions. Early detection being key and prevention being even mm. better. Um, if someone has been witnessing behavioral issues in their dog or cat for a long time, I guess what I'm really asking is, is it ever too late to rectify a behavior or to seek help from an expert? Oh, no, it's never too late. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, people come to me and say, you, you know, you're our last resort, you're our last mm -hmm. hope, which makes my job a little bit more difficult. But oftentimes we do, you know, we do manage to turn these cases around or improve them. However, like you said, prevention and early detection and early intervention is really important. So if we if we suspect even in younger dogs or puppies that, you know, their neural pathways, as you mentioned earlier, Helen, that their neural pathways aren't working as they should be, or we've got some kind of neurotransmitter imbalances, we'll start treatment you know, as early as we need to. And, and that can sometimes be in, in puppies as well as adult dogs. So, yeah, it's never too early or too late. Um, so if you are, you know, thinking that that your pet might have a behavioral issue or might be behaviorally challenged, then, yeah, absolutely come and seek some expert help. Dr. Katrin staying with us this afternoon. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. Dr. Katrin Yarn is on the phone today. She is joining us in the German Veterinary Clinic, answering my questions, but honestly, yours, when it comes to all things behaviour related, to do with your furry or feathered, spiky friends, whatever you have, we're, uh, we're here to help. And uh, it sounds like Ellie needs your help. Ellie's saying, I've got a gorgeous standard poodle called Louie, who is three. Whip smart, knows loads of tricks, great bond with us. He's toilet trained, but we still have issues with territorial marking on new things or items that have moved place. Basically, we need to be careful of things like putting a suitcase down by the door. Can your vet shed any light on this behaviour? He is the loveliest, most good-natured, well-behaved dog apart from this problem. With Christmas coming up... I'm worried about putting presents out in case we've got some territorial marking as they are new or in a ro in an odd place. Is there anything we can do or any training exercises you recommend? Dr. Katrin, can we help Ellie and prevent some peeing on presents this festive season? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ellie, thank you very much for your question. Um, Louis sounds wonderful, doesn't he? Oh, um so it could be, as we know, dogs are very much more sensitive to smells than, than we are. Um, and they can smell things, you know, at sort of much greater intensity. Um, and it's possible that new things coming into the home or even things moving around um, might cause him to worry. So it, it's possible that new things might smell different. They might not have that sort of clan household home smell. Um, and urine marking often um, allows for that to happen. So by marking on something, Thing. Um, basically, you know, he's marking that as safe because now all of a sudden it smells familiar and, and it sort of smells like him. So that might <laughs> be one reason. Yeah, I know. That might be one reason. Um, in terms of what we can do to prevent it, that's a little bit trickier, right, if that's the motivation. Um, 
a, a really good thing to do is to, um, you know, have a really good recall so that if you are with him and you notice him start to sniff around the presence, you can kind of call him away or you could preoccupy him with a stuffed Kong or a snuffle mat or a, a licky mat sort of at a distance from the from the Christmas presence Um or you could potentially just make the Christmas presents smell a little bit more like home. So you could potentially, you know, maybe um, put some some sort of shirts, clothes, shoes, his bed, something amongst the presents that smells familiar so that they don't smell quite so unfamiliar anymore. So those are kind of the things that come to mind. However, it would be good to sort of get a little bit of a, a bigger picture mm. um, of Louis as to, to why he might feel worried about new things coming into the house or things changing around the house. So there's a bit of a theme there, isn't there? And it, it's possible that he might just feel a bit worried or not quite safe with sort of new objects that he's not familiar with. Dr. Katrin, do you mind if we keep it on toileting? Because I've got a message from my dear. <laughs> if we have I prom- to, I promise yeah. we'll. I promise we'll move past this after half past. But Nadia needs some help. Saying, can you house train adult dogs? We've just adopted a small adult bulldog, and he pees and poos inside. My apartment stinks. Mm. Be giving him a treat every time he toilets outside, but with no success. Today, I caught him peeing while he was eating his food. Is there anything mm. I can do? He's about one and a half. Oh dear, Nadia. What? Yeah, great question. And toileting issues can be quite um, challenging to to sort of investigate and treat because they can have a number of different causes. So the first thing absolutely I would do is um, take him for a full physical medical checkup to make sure we haven't got anything going on such as bladder infections or perhaps prostate problems. Um, I'm not sure whether he's castrated or not, but all those things. So to check out the physical medical health. Um, then the second thing would, would be to going right back to scratch in terms of toilet training. So if he's been used to toileting, maybe if he's been kept in a shelter or if he's been kept in an outside area and he's just been used to sort of toileting wherever he wants to, mm-hmm. he would have learned that that location, substrate, you know, that sort of routine was normal. And so reversing that or changing that into a new routine can take a little bit of time. And you almost have to think about it as if he were a puppy and you were completely retraining him as if he were a puppy. Um, and we've got lots of great resources on how to do that. But location and substrate are two things that are really important. So where he pees and what type of surface he pees on. So if he's used to peeing on on concrete or tiles, then he's much more likely to pee on concrete or tiles in the future. So if eventually you want to train him to pee on grass or on sand, then you know we need to start introducing that. You're absolutely right by praising him and rewarding him every time he does toilet outside, but it's really important never to punish if he has an accident in the house because he might just not know that that's not appropriate because that's what he's been doing you know, for the full year and a half or however long before he came to you. So those would be a couple of things. There are a couple of other more random things. So anxiety can cause indoor urination, anxiety, stress, urine marking could be another thing, but that would probably need to be explored a little bit deeper with a bit more time. But I think physical, medical, and then back to basics, toilet training are the two places I'd start. Um, and then if that if that still sort of has no joy, then perhaps seek advice from a, a specialist like myself. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. 
We are very much here to help over the course of the afternoon. Dr. Katrin Yarn is with us from the German Veterinary Clinic. She's got an incredibly, incredibly impressive resume when it comes to behavior in, in dogs and cats and training and pooping, toileting, barking, chewing and more. We've been talking dogs. Um, Dr. Katrin, we've got a cat question from Jess saying, My two kittens, brother and sister, are bringing in dead mice and sometimes rats into the house and playing with them inside is there anything i can do to discourage this behavior <laughs> oh, uh, it's giving you a little christmas present time exactly. and time again I'm, unfortunately not really because the hunting and predation instinct is so so important um and you know sort of very well established in cats so even cats that are fed by us you know they've got plentiful food meals you know free f- feeding food will still hunt so it's not that cats hunt just to eat um, and consume food but it's actually a behavioral um, pattern or behavioral sequence that they go through um, not just to eat but to do that behavior mm-hmm. so it's quite difficult to kind of Um, stop them from doing it. Now, there are a few ways that you can sort of um, help their little victims, Um, putting a collar on that has a bell, um, not letting them out at dusk or dawn, which is sort of the main time of day for predation. So rather letting them out, especially now in the winter that it's cooler, letting them out during the day rather than um, sort of in the evenings or at night. I know one of my cats is, she is always desperate to go out uh, probably around five o'clock and then she won't come back in again, probably until about nine o'clock. And it's because it's that time of day that sort of cats are what we call crepuscular. So they're dusk and dawn active that time of day when they go out and hunt for their prey. So there are a few things that we can do to discourage them um, or to kind of pre-warn their little Mm. prey. So like I said, the bell on the collar and keeping them in at those sort of key times of day. But will we ever stop them from hunting and, and praying? It's, no. Uh, it's or predating cats. No. It's what makes them cats. Yeah. Um, we've had a question from social media. And I just want to give a, a quick little shout out because um, for anyone who is thinking about adopting a cat, there are so many in need of a good home right now. And there is an adoption day this coming Saturday um, in the afternoon between one and four. It's at the pet shop on Shakeside Road. And I've seen some of the some of the cats and kittens that are available for adoption. There's Cupcake, <laughs> who's about three months old, and his gorgeous amber eyes. There's Baloo and squeak who are about three and uh, three and four months old so please if you are thinking about getting a pet obviously get in touch with us or indeed ask a, a vet or a veterinary nurse some of the questions in terms of just the essential information costs involved the day-to-day care that you that you need to have but please do adopt don't shop um, and we have had a message on the social media um, asking about getting another cat actually dr cashin mm-hmm. um this is uh, come in saying my female cat is two years old would it be better to adopt a kitten or an older cat now we have had this question before about does your cat want or need a companion mm. and most vets <laughs> i speak to they're going probably not they're probably quite happy by themselves to be honest but if you are thinking about adding to your furry family what do you tend to think can work um, or complement um, an animal is it better to go older or get them a little friend it's a really difficult topic this because I will agree with everyone else that it's not always successful adding a second cat to an existing cat Um, and if you remember earlier in the show I said you know that's one of my sort of top cases that I see are these intercat aggression cases because cats are what we call non-socially obligate so they are not a social species like dogs horses cows humans Um, they're they're 
you know, much more of a solitary species and they find it quite difficult to make social relationships. It, obviously, it's not impossible because, you know, many cats can form social relationships either with other cats or with people, but it's definitely harder to, to introduce a second cat. And I guess there are pros and cons to both. So obviously, if you would introduce a kitten, um, you know, it, you would have that sort of more playful, um, a little bit more sort of moldable character that is the kitten's character. But if you have an older cat, then the kitten might really get on the older cat's nerves. So that might kind of either be a, a plus or a minus. If you do introduce an older cat to, to an existing cat, the good thing is, is you can kind of um, gauge the temperament of that mm, older cat true. already because it's kind of a little bit more developed and established. Um, so if you've got a very calm cat, then, then maybe adding another calm cat would be good. But if you've got a very sort of bold, confident and playful cat, then maybe getting something more like that. So it's it's a difficult topic and, you know, it can go really, really well, but it can also not go so well. Um, you know, and I speak from experience. I've got two cats and, and my older cat probably hates me for bringing in the my new kitten um and they absolutely tolerate each other now but they don't love each other and you know it's yeah so sometimes all we can hope for is you know that they just tolerate each other and sort of coexist with each other it's quite rare for two unfamiliar cats to form a very strong bond not unheard of but rarer i would say so Really think long and hard, I think, before getting a second cat. And you might want to consider a second cat on a trial basis or a mm, foster, foster basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to see how your existing cat, you know, gets on with other cats, um, because you, you could potentially be making your existing cat quite unhappy by bringing in a second cat. Thanks, Doctor. Dr. Katrin Yarn with us this afternoon from the German Veterinary Clinic. I'm going to try and squeeze in one more question. Um, and this is from KC. And we're back to toileting, I'm afraid. Saying, <laughs> um, listen, it's, it's the bread and butter of veterinary plaster practice. Um, Casey's saying, my five-year-old cat has never had a problem with using the litter box. But recently, she has been pooping almost exclusively outside of it. Um, poos are normal, no life changes, haven't moved, haven't changed litter or anything. She seems completely fine and happy otherwise. But I'm wondering how I can curb this behaviour without stressing her or making it worse. You sound like such a good pet parent, Casey. Mm. Um, any insights there? So sudden behavioural change. Yeah, so a couple of key points, exactly that. So sudden behavior change, as you've just said, Helen, but also sudden behavior change in an older cat. Um, and then also the fact that it's just the poop, it seems, which is quite unusual. Normally cats pee outside of the litter box rather than poop. So for me, this rings alarm bells of medical, physical medical. Um, and now that could be um, something like osteoarthritis or pain so that the cat's finding it uncomfortable to get into that squatting position to poop, especially maybe if the litter box is a little bit too small or, you know, if they sort of have to kind of clamber into the litter box if it's got high sides in order to poop. Um, and then obviously all the other sort of gastrointestinal um, issues um, that you know, might cause that. So I would, again, absolutely first port of call, get a full physical medical checkup. Um, I think sp specifically about osteoarthritis, pain in the spine, in the hips, in the stifle. So that's the knee joints and cats, uh, which are sort of the, the most common areas that cats would get osteoarthritis. And even though five sounds, you know, quite young, um, it's definitely not too young to start thinking about this. We're seeing dogs and cats developing osteoarthritis earlier and earlier. Perhaps we're recognizing it earlier, but those would be the things I might think about. 
big litter trays. So cats, when they do poo, they go through this whole ritual of covering up afterwards. Um, and in order to do that, they do this sort of dance, you know, the circular motion that they make mm-hmm. to cover up the poo. And sometimes if the litter box is too small, um, and it sounds like perhaps you haven't changed your litter boxes, but it could be that if the cats maybe developed a little bit of pain, that it's just not comfortable for them yeah, to do that anymore. Sticks. So. Okay. Yeah, I I think pain would be my first instinct. Um, yeah, Dr. Catherine, we've run out of time. We haven't run out of questions. Oh no, um, John's just been in touch about his rescue dog who's been diagnosed with diabetes. John, we will absolutely put your message aside for next week. Uh, I think it's just a really interesting topic, and I'm so sorry that Miss B's had this diagnosis, but we are here for you, um, Dr. Catherine. In the meantime, if we weren't able to get to behaviour message today, where can people find you in terms of resources, but also one-on-one training and help? So uh, you can find me on the German Vet website. So that's germanvet.ae. You can also drop us an email at behavior, that's I-O-U-R, at germanvet.ae. And yeah, if you just Google veterinary behaviorist in the UAE, I'll probably come up. So lots of ways to get a hold of us. I've also got a Facebook page called the Pet Behavior Community. Uh, Lots of good resources and information on there. So yeah, lots of ways to get a hold of us. Dr. Katrin Jan, absolute pleasure speaking to us from the German Veterinary Clinic. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.